Well, glory to God. I'll say it again. Amen. If you're visiting today, I can't see y'all yet, but somewhere we're going to get some lights in a minute. If, there we go. If you're visiting today and you didn't like that, you're probably in the wrong place. You probably are. Hallelujah. Whew. Drop kick me Jesus through the goalposts of life. I'll tell you. Romans chapter 2. Going back through the book of Romans. We made it down uh, through verse 16 on Wednesday night. And then now we take up in verse 17. As we think this morning about Satan's greatest lie. Many years ago, there was a man in San Francisco blew through an intersection without realizing there's a camera. I hate those cameras. They still have them in Dallas, by the way. I've gotten a picture from up there. Uh, and he blew through this intersection, not knowing there was a camera there. And about two, three weeks later, he got a, uh, a ticket, had a picture of his car and the license plate, and a $100 fine. So he thought, well, you know, this is nice. So he decided he would take a picture of a $100 bill and send it back to them. And he did. About two weeks later, he got another picture in the mail, a pair of handcuffs. <laughs> There's some things you're not going to get away with. And uh, one such law is this. Trusting in religion brings condemnation. I mean, that's just something you're not going to get away with. And we see that this morning in Romans chapter 2, beginning in verse 17. Would you stand, please, in honor of the reading of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, and all-sufficient word. The Bible says, Romans 2, 17, Behold, thou art called a Jew, and resteth in the law, and makest thou boast of God, and knowest his will, and approveth the things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law. And art confident that thou thyself art a guide to the blind, a light of them which are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, which has the form of knowledge and of the truth of the law. Verse 21, Thou therefore which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself? Thou that preachest a man should not steal, dost thou steal? Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Thou that makest thy boast of the law, though through breaking the law dishonorest thou God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you, as it is written. For circumcision verily profiteth if thou keep the law. But if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. Therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? And shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee, who by the letter and circumcision does transgress the law? For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. Neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, and not in the letter, 
whose praise is not of men, but of God. Father, thank you this morning how we've been blessed. Thank you for the promises, Lord, that you have promised us that we never walk alone. Lord, as I was listening to that music, I, Lord, I, I, I want to carry on. God, I've committed to carry on. But Lord, that song says, with joy, I'm going to carry on. God, help me to have that joy that is just not understandable by human terms, but what you've put in our hearts. Lord, even though we're backed up against the wall and things don't look good, Lord, the joy of the Lord is my strength. I praise you for that. I ask you to speak this morning, Lord, as only you can. Would you touch the hearts of people this morning that need to be saved? There are those in this room that have hidden behind religion. And they put all their trust in works and good deeds and religion and name tags. Oh God, would you wake them up this morning? Help them to know we've got a heavenly father that's not interested so much in what we do, but as who we are. And that you desire a personal relationship with every one of us. We'll praise you for what you're going to do in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The whole overall purpose of the first three chapters of Romans is to level humankind under sin. Paul begins with the Gentiles over in chapter 1. We've gone through that. And while he's doing that, uh, the Jews are hollering, Amen. They're standing up on the back of the pew saying, Hallelujah. But now it's kind of turning around. He begins to go after his own people in chapter 2. And uh, uh, he says here, even if they're not Jews, because that's one of the questions that we've got, is what about these people who are not Jews? What about these people who have never heard of Jesus, have never been in the tabernacle? And he makes that evident in Romans that God gave each one of us a conscience. We know right from wrong. He also says creation. The psalmist said it declares the glory of the Lord. And then, of course, they also have the nation Israel. Israel was to be a witness or a testimony to all of the world about Jesus. Now, the amens are going to dry up here. There are not going to be any more hallelujahs. And what we've got to see here in this scripture is that people who have religion, it is possible for them to still go to hell. I'm, I'm afraid hell is going to be full of a lot of people that had good works. And, you know, uh, I, I'll be honest with you. After 45 years, I've never done a funeral where the family came in and said, look, this guy was a rascal. He chased women. He drank beer. He didn't go to church. He didn't ever do anything for God. He made a profession of faith when he was seven or eight, but he's never done anything. So I've never had anybody tell me that. Never. I couldn't tell you how many, though, I've had say something like, you know, I know he didn't go to church much, but he was a good man. I know he didn't do much for God, but I tell you, he had a good heart. Folks, that, that's not what salvation is about. Salvation is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If you can't tell me what you're doing now with Jesus, don't bother telling me what you did 35 years ago. Because that should have made a change in your life. 
It, it did so with Nicodemus. He was a very religious man. He came to Jesus and he said, look, you know, I'm, I'm, man, I'm the ruler of the religious here. And Jesus said, unless you're born again, you're never going to see heaven. He did the same thing with Joseph of Arimathea, a very religious man, yet he needed to be saved. He did the same thing with the apostle Paul. Paul was doing his religious duty by crucifying churches and persecuting churches and Christians. <laughs> but you see, when Jesus comes in, he changes the inside. Man's attempt to establish a way to get into heaven. Uh, listen, it's going to all fail. Our Father is a heavenly Father. He desires that we become His child, and one day we're going to get to live in His house because when we receive the Lord, we become children of the Lord. We become children of God, and His inheritance is our inheritance. So we get to live there because of His provision of salvation. Now, let me just give you really two things, but there's about 15 things under these two, so don't get excited, all right? Number one, I think this scripture tells us just straight out right, beware of religious overconfidence. It really doesn't matter what your grandmother did, didn't matter if your grandfather was a preacher, doesn't matter, you know, all these, you know, I, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, because I think too much, and you know, and I'm usually wrong when I'm thinking. But I'm thinking of all these people that have had to resign because of something they did with slavery. I mean, now we're going to change the name of Austin because Stephen F. Austin had slaves. I, I'm wondering, I'm praying, dear God, I'm praying. If you don't come, would there come a day where maybe some people in this country did the same thing with abortion that we're doing with slavery now? I mean, that's all I hear. Abortion's legal. Well, so was slavery. It was legal. Just because it's legal don't make it right. Beware uh, of being overconfident in your religious uh, views. Now, he gives three advantages here. The first privilege of the Jew is their name. He writes in verse 17, if you bear the name Jew, then the name Jew means praise to Yahweh. This name reminded them that they were privileged among all the people of the world. They're privileged because their, their name is Jew. They were privileged. They were God's chosen people. Hmm. Listen, they were so impressed with the name of Yahweh that if they were writing a scroll and they came to that name, they put that pen down, got a brand new pen, wrote just that name, then put that pen down never to use it again. I mean, they, they've got the name Jew. But I want to tell you, here's the deal. Now, stay with me. Because when people are steeped in religion, they talk about their names, and they talk about their churches, and they talk about all their institutions. But I will tell you, when people are steeped in Christianity, they talk about Jesus. And I'll tell you, folks, we don't need no more talking about Woodland Hills. Hey, Woodland Hills this, Woodland Hills that. Ah, uh, the only reason Woodland Hills is anything is because of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. 
Don't you ever forget that. So beware of religious overconfidence. They've got Jews in their name. And yet, <laughs> they missed the Lord's first coming. They're so religious, they, they didn't realize Jesus had come. The second privilege they've got is their book. In verse 17, the last part of that verse, Paul writes that the Jews rely upon the law and boast in God, know his will, approve the things that are essential, being instructed out of the law. The, the Jews possessed the Old Testament law. They were keepers of the law. They knew God's will in a way the Romans and the Greeks uh, and Gentiles never knew that. The, the Greeks and Gentiles never knew what a tabernacle was. They didn't know what the Ark of the Covenant was. All that was to the Jews. So They not only had a name, they had the book. And then sadly, they didn't see the big picture. <laughs> They could not understand that Jesus was the Messiah that was offered in the, New, in the Old Testament. They could not see the picture. The great danger that we face in our century is allowing ourselves to get a lot of knowledge about the Word of God and not letting it affect our lives. See, the more we know the more we ought to be affecting in our lives. Uh, we utilize a full relationship now of the Word of God. The Jews only had the Old Testament. We've got the full New Testament and Old Testament both. And still, we read it and we get educated and we get more knowledge, and yet we're living worse than we've ever lived before in our lives. The third privilege that the Jews had here, it's found in verse 19 and 20, is their works. Paul listed four advantages. He said, you, you're a guide to the blind, you're a light of them which are in darkness, you're an instructor of the foolish, and you're a teacher of the babes. Now, I want to tell you, that's some pretty heavy claims. And yet, Paul never came back. That's what these people were saying about themselves. Paul never came back and said, you guys, are, you think a little bit more highly of yourself than you ought to. He doesn't ever say that. They literally are. They're, they're a guide to the blind and a light to those in darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the babes. They are. But listen, all of these things they mention here, okay, are outward. None of them are inward. And you see, the problem we got today is the Lord doesn't look on the outward appearance of us. He looks on the inward appearance. None of these things touch the heart. A name, a book, a series of good works, they don't touch the heart. They can all be faked. You can be here and you can serve in a Sunday school class. You can sing in the choir. You can preach. You can teach. You can be a deacon. You can do anything you want to. Those are outward signs and they can all be put on and faked. In uh, verses 17 through 20, Paul is what I call shadowboxing. <laughs> In verse 21, he abruptly turns and he begins to box aggressively. He blows, uh, his blows become lethal here as he confronts the Jew with the disparity of what they're teaching and then what they're living. He begins with a question in verse 21, the first part. You therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? 
Paul, Paul's arguing here that in spite of all the major advantages that you Jews have, your name, your book, your works and everything, and, and you're teaching other people, but you're not teaching yourself. It's important that we apply the sermon to ourselves first. Now, you know I'm not a Calvinist, but I do read after John Calvin. I don't think Calvin himself would be a Calvinist today. John Calvin said this, if the preacher is not first preaching to himself, better that he falls on the steps of the pulpit and breaks his neck than preaches that sermon. You don't think that won't make you kind of sit back and say, now wait a minute, Lord, am I sure what I'm preaching today? <laughs> and then the second part of verse 21, he asks the second question, you preach that one should not steal, do you steal? See, the Jews were stealing from one another. They were the ones who were throwing all the extra taxes on everybody and, and robbing them, cheating with the business deals. They preached against stealing, but they themselves broke the Eighth Commandment. Then Paul follows it up in the third question. You who say that one should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? Then they were, they were busy committing adultery in the middle of all this. Finally, he questions the Jews in the second half of verse 22. You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? See, God's law commanded Israel to destroy pagan temples in Canaan. But sometimes those zealous Jews uh, broke that commandment. And they confiscated the treasures of the temple and not destroyed it. And when you don't destroy sin, it always comes back to bite you. Always. Now, verse 23 could appear to be a fifth question, but I think probably it's not. In the Greek, there's not a question mark there. So I think this verse ought to be translated, you who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. Hmm. On one hand, the Jews were boasting about their knowledge. I've been to cemetery, uh, seminary. I, I've been to Bible studies. I've had experience in God. I've had all these core. I've been through breakout sessions. That's the thing now. We didn't know what a breakout session was. We broke out when we, well, I better hush. We, <laughs> it's totally different today. I was looking at just hypocrisy on the internet and uh, discovered some examples of hypocrisy. Uh, the first one was a driving school owner got caught driving drunk. Now that's pretty good hypocrisy right there. The uh, second one was a fire station went up in flames because it didn't install a smoke detector. <laughs> if it, some of you are older than me because uh, I, I remember just hearing about it. A little old town out, outside of Livingston in Polk County called Point Blank. L.A. is the one who told me about that. The fire station at Point Blank burnt to the ground. Only fire station in the history of Texas or the United States to burn to the ground. But theirs burnt to the ground. Uh, a robber who dressed up in police clothing. That's the height of hypocrisy. A Lowe's home improvement store failed to pass a building inspection. <laughs> well, 
Hypocrisy remains the same for us today. It's a problem. It's timeless. It's universal. But our major concern shouldn't be with the Jews of Paul's day or even other contemporary. Listen, we, we ought to be concerned with ourselves. I mean, do we also commit the same or similar sins that we denounce? I mean, we, we, we slander these people who are cheating welfare. Whoo! Don't mention anything about our income taxes. Mm. We rebuke pornographers publicly and then we sit home in our house and watch the same junk. We decry the breakdown of the family, yet when a family has problems, I notice they go to Facebook before they go to God. Are we in the same boat as these Jews in? When, when, you know, are you practicing what you're preaching? Does your life match up to your lips? The hypocritical behavior of the Jews here led to a disturbing result in verse 24. Paul explains, for the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. He is telling his brothers, the Jews, the reason the Gentiles are blaspheming in the name of God is your fault. You're the problem. On one hand, you're jealous for God's name. They wouldn't even pronounce it. Had to substitute another name for it. Yet their attitude caused the Gentiles to blaspheme God. Frederick Nietzsche passed away in 1900. He lived in the 1800s. He said the best argument against Christianity is Christians. We're our worst enemies. Now listen, if you don't get anything else, job your neighbor and wake him up. You need to get this. The acid test is not so much what we say about ourselves, but what the world says about God because of us. I mean, what, what, what's this world saying about God today because of churches today and Christians today? I remember a day when... The preachers just walk in a room, and man, people say, it's a preacher, straighten up. They don't care today. They don't care today. We went to see a show the other night that was not a bad show. It was a great show. But the blame uh, previews were terrible. I thought they were rated for all audiences. One of my kids say some of those words they said on there that night. I'd wash, I'd do more than wash your mouth out with soap. Mm. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify the Father in heaven. Does your life point people to Jesus as Savior? Or does your life cause people to blaspheme the name of Jesus? There's nothing God's more concerned about than his name. He's not going to take second place. He's holy. His reputation, his glory, and our job is to live a godly life and make him look good before the nations. And the problem we've got in our world today has nothing to do with politics. It has nothing to do. It has to do with the fact that the church has sat quiet and we've done nothing. We don't want to do nothing in this church. I, I'm, I'm, I'm guilty. 
hey, I've known some of y'all been shacking up for years, but I don't want to say anything because it's going to cause a problem. And I'll tell you, one of these days it's going to cause me a problem because God's going to say, you, you knew this. I mean, we, we've got churches doing everything in the world now from ordaining women to ordaining homosexuals and lesbians and everything else. And do we think that that's not going to filter into our churches too? I better get on before I get in trouble. Let me give you the second and last point. All right? My wife always says I ought to be in real estate because I'm always closing. You beware of religious overconfidence. And the second thing, you beware of religious association. Verses 25 through 29 really serve kind of as a reversal. Paul levels the Jews. What he does is puts them on par with the Gentile. You do realize that's how it is today. The ground at the cross is level. If you're here this morning and you're a Jew, you can get saved. If you're a Gentile, you can get saved. If you're rich, you can get saved. If you're poor, you can get saved. If you're a color, you can be saved. If you're not, you can still be saved. If you're educated, you can be saved. If you're not educated, you can still be saved. <laughs> I tell you, Miss Juanita Gibson is, has been kind of bad off and she can't drive. And you know little Lauren. She loves singing in the choir and everything. And we get uh, probably 15, 20 texts a day from Lauren. And I make sure I answer every one of them. Because I believe in my heart that that's what heaven's going to be like. Not a care in the world. Just fellowshipping with the Lord and enjoying life for eternity. <laughs> we got to be careful with our religious association. Paul, now for the Jews, and I don't want to get onto this thing deep in here, but for the Jews, it's, it's circumcision. That's their big thing. And he's clear here that circumcision is only valuable if, if he says, you continue to practice the law. But if you're not practicing the law, I don't care how many times you've been circumcised. It don't make any difference. It's no good. You see, See, the circumcision doesn't mean to us what it did to the Jews. Most of the time in this country, in our world today, circumcision is a, is a health thing. It, it's a cleanliness, hygiene thing. But to them, the act of circumcision was incredibly significant here. They instituted circumcision as a sign of the covenant that God entered into with Abraham. They would be circumcised on the eighth day as a mark of their identity to the people of God. But Paul is trying to tell them, I don't care about circumcision. That was never meant to be an end. That's the deal. Same principle with baptism. You, you, it, listen, if you're not saved before you go in that baptismal water, you ain't saved when you come out of it. That water represents what has taken place in your heart. And if nothing's taken place, people say, well, uh, my family want to baptize our little infant. And I say, well, you know, just wrap him up good and make sure he don't get pneumonia. That ain't going to hurt him. 
Ain't going to help him, but ain't going to hurt him. And some, some denominations teach that if you're if they hanging on, if you were baptized as a child, uh, then you, that takes care of your salvation. That's wrong, folks. That's wrong. There needs to come a time in your life when you get your salvation on the right, you get your baptism on the right side of your salvation. And if you got saved when you were 30 or 50 or 18, and you're saying, well, I was baptized back when I was a baby. No, you just got wet when you were a baby. <laughs> baptism, Christian baptism, is outward appearance of what's happened on the inside. For example, I, I was late this morning to church, and somebody said, well, you're running late. Well, if I told you the reason I was running late, see why I was running late is because I was driving over here, and there's something in the middle of the road. Now, a preacher always checks if it looks like a money bag or something to make sure <laughs> that, 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 that you take care of that. You want to make sure of that. <laughs> no. So I stopped on the side of the road, and I checked the bag, and I got run over by an 18-wheeler. So that's why I'm late this morning. Now, how many of you believe that? You say, that's the stupidest thing i ever heard of. No, my being here does not attest to the fact that I got run over by an 18-wheeler. And that's what Paul's telling these Jews. Your outward attitude does not attest of what's going on in your heart. When something goes on in your heart, it's going to change your outward attitude. I had another illustration, but I, I, I never made it to the kitchen this morning. I was going to give somebody a can of peaches. I love peaches. Long about now, you're starving to death and you're hungry. And man, some peaches with some provolone cheese would sure be good. <laughs> I was going to let you open that can, but unbeknownst to you, I had cut that label off of a canned peas and put a peach label on there. I hate canned peas. <laughs> I'll just tell you right now don't bring me no canned peas. Maybe get some of these ladies to cook some purple holes or something, but no canned peas. You say, well, that's not what was supposed to be in the can. That's not what's supposed to be in your heart either. If Jesus is in the heart, that's why we have labels to tell what's on the inside. That's why we have baptism as a label to tell what's on the inside of your heart. And if it's not been changed, <laughs> it, Well, baptism can't save you or help you. The Lord's Supper can't save you or help you. And while I'm chasing rabbits, let me just chase one more here. I got time. There are people who, in this church, and you're not partaking of the Lord's Supper because you know you're living in sin. And you've got sense enough to read the Bible and know that there can be a curse put upon you if you take of the Lord's Supper unworthily. So you won't take of it. That is not what the Bible set that up for. That was set up so that you would know your sin, confess your sin, and take of the Lord's Supper worthily. It was never a cop-out where you say, well, I'm just going to continue to live in sin 
No, that tells me something wrong here. Guys, we need to quit playing. You believe Jesus is coming soon? Look around this earth. That's the craziest things going on in this earth you've ever seen in your life. Now we're going to call them babies because the babies are not sure what gender they're going to be. Lord's Supper can't save you. Baptism can't save you. Church membership can't save you. Good work can't save you. All of these things, they're not bad. They're good. But they've got to be on the right side of a heart change. <laughs> there are people who can serve the Lord and never be saved. Now, they'll get angry, and they'll probably pop a cork before it's all over with and lose it. Because your salvation is what changes your attitude in your heart. These things are wonderful, but they're made to do after salvation. And I want to point that out just to be sure, because I'm, I probably got 15 emails after Wednesday night. I think I muddied things up so bad for you that you, just, you were just in... I don't know. I just wasn't very good Wednesday night. I want to try to clarify something for you, okay? And, and please, because I, I, we talked about the first part of Romans chapter 2. Paul says literally, if you just read that, you're thinking he's talking about you've got to have works to get to heaven. If you read John 5, 28, 29, the scripture says that the dead, there'll come a time when the dead are going to rise up. And verse 29 says, those who have done good will go to heaven. Those who have done evil will go to hell. If, you, if you're not sure of that, uh, uh, you can get, it's very easy to get confused. But listen, the word of God is not teaching that you have to do good works to get saved. Paul is teaching that when you get saved, a primary evidence of your salvation is that you do good works. That you have a changed heart and attitude. That you have a changed spirit. It is not to get you saved. You have it because you are saved. So don't, don't miss that point. It's a business nightmare out in California. Placed by the name of Harry's Car Wash. They were doing business as usual. They came in with the federal agents and the IRS, handcuffed Harry, took him off. Right in the middle of the working day. His employees are just staring like this. And when all of it came to to end, to the smoke was all cleared. Harry owed four cents to the federal government. Now, this happened in 2008. Y'all go back and figure out who was there. Uh, four cents. Four cents. Now, the problem was the penalties and the taxes all accrued up until where he owed $202.31 because of four cents. Now, let me tell you, if you've ever got, if you've ever been to Dallas and you didn't have a toll tag on that particular freeway and they sent you a little letter saying you owe 87, you better pay that 87 cents. Because I'm telling you, within about three months, it'll be $50. I'm just testifying to you. You better pay, you better pay that 87 cents. I'm telling you. I got to thinking about that story. 
Aren't you glad the debt you owed has been paid in full? Aren't you glad that when you stand before the king of kings, he's not going to say, well, you only owed four cents, but you've not done this, and 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 so you owe this much. Never happened. Once and for all, Christ was crucified. One time. When he comes back, it won't be what the Jews are looking for. It's going to be not as a baby in a manger. It's going to be on a white horse. It's going to take the place of being a savior to the place of being the judge. And I'll tell you, there's not a jury. You don't have a chance when the prosecuting attorney is the same last name as the judge. When you walk into one of these county courthouses and they got the same last name, you better just do whatever they say do. Our judge is Jesus. Our prosecuting attorney is Jesus. Woo, but let me give you some good news. Our defense attorney is Jesus. <laughs> and when we stand there, Jesus, <laughs> the judge listens to Jesus, the prosecutor, and the devil's there casting all these things, our defense attorney will say, all that's true, all that's true, but he's one of mine. He's covered by my blood, and I just walk right on in. Are you ready to do that today? Father, thank you today in the name of Jesus. Thank you that, Lord, when you saved us, we understand we're nothing and you're everything. Lord, thank you today that you have paid the price for our sin. And there's nothing else we owe. We just need to come to you. There are people in this congregation today that, Lord, what they need in their life is to come to you and trust you. And say, I can't save myself, but I want you to save me today, Lord Jesus. Would that happen? Let your Holy Spirit draw them. Lord, some of them may have been church members for years and years. Lord, it's been said many times before, these labels we got are either going to fall off on the way up or burn off on the way down. Lord, what we need is an old-fashioned experience, a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, just like Paul had on the road to Damascus. Speak to our hearts. If there are those that just need to come and pray at this altar, God, I pray that the altars would be full of people that say, look, I don't want to live in sin. I want to confess that sin. I want to praise the name of Jesus. And then, Lord, if there are those in this place today need a church home, God, if it's your will, this is where you want them. God, show them that and let them be obedient. If it's not, then, Lord, you show them where you do want them to be. Lord, I know you've got a place for every one of us. We thank you for what you've done, who you are, in the name above every name, the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, glory to God. I'll say it again. Amen. If you're visiting today, I can't see y'all yet, but somewhere we're going to get some lights in a minute. If, there we go. If you're visiting today and you didn't like that, you're probably in the wrong place. You probably are. Hallelujah.